Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Carroll. Welcome to this episode of Employment Matters. Employment Matters is a podcast series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest, most prestigious network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms in the world. Today, I've gathered a team of experts from Sweden, Malta, and Serbia. And I'd like them all to just introduce yourself. Say good morning. Morning. This is Marco Repic from Serbia. I'm very happy to be here at this very interesting, on this, to speak about this very interesting topic. Hi, I'm Charlotte Forsander from Vingen, Sweden. Happy to join you. Good to see you, Charlotte. Good morning. It's Anne Bujea from GVZH Advocates in Malta. Welcome. Thanks for being a part of this. Uh, I'm really excited to have this team of experts together today to talk about something that's really a prevalent topic for most employers around the world, and that is the gig economy. Most areas of the world are seeing a big interest in um, offering staff flexibility to um, work within this gig economy. And um, I'd like first to open it with kind of distinguishing how employers might classify workers. You know, who gets to be a gig worker? How do you classify that versus a traditional employee? Well, uh, in in Serbia, uh, gig economy is uh, very present in IT sector where the companies are very keen to engage IT engineers as a self-employed versus traditional employment. There is a, a few reasons why we do that. The most important is the tax issue. Why? Because the taxation when you are self-employed is uh, significantly lower than traditional employment. We have a huge gig economy. You know, at this moment, IT sector is the most important sector in Serbia. And that's why the billions of US dollars are involved in this sector. So the country decided to change this. In a sense, they realized this whole sector is unregulated. So last month, actually, they passed a new legislation trying to find differences between the self-employed and traditional engagement through the labor contracts stating that there is a test, specific test that has to be evaluated by the state authorities. This is called the independency test. So if there is a seven or eight points, so if five of seven or eight points are passed, then the state authority will say, okay, you are not self-employed, you're actually labor engaged. So basically it changed whole your story, your taxation, your labor stand, standards. So you have basically, you, you, have, you will be treated as an employee, although formally speaking, you are self-employed. So it's the huge, huge, huge difference of, and how the test is look like, what is the mo- most important things to keep in mind. So first of all, they have only one employee or one engagement or, or two or three of more. How the company who engage those self-employed organize their working hours, their working time, their holidays or something like that. So basically, if, although in the form, no, but in the substance, it's very similar to the labor engagement, then the self-employed should be treated as a labor employee. So you mentioned about, you know, the question of being uh, regulated as a 
subsector of the industry, I want to call it, because it's, it's really in and of itself, this growth of this gig economy. And I'm looking at my friend over there, Charlotte, and wondering if Sweden's environment for the gig workers is highly regulated. Well, Swedish labor market in general is super heavily regulated, both in terms of protective legislations uh, for employees and also about 90% of the Swedish workforce are covered by a collective bargaining agreement. And so the parties in the labor market are really scratching their heads about this whole gig economy thing because it doesn't really fit neatly into the descriptions of what is an employment relationship. And so we have in Sweden right now, we have uh, actually no pending legislation intended to deal with this and also no litigations going on. And I think that that's largely attributable to the fact that the gig economy workers are not members of a trade union. So there's no real basis for the unions to bring an action or drive these issues, uh, which I think is frustrating for the unions because this is something that's not appreciated. But we see coming really more and more, both in terms of like proper gigs, if you're, for instance, an Uber driver or, or something like that. And I think in that setup, I think that the the company, for instance, Uber, would be perceived if this was tried in litigation in Sweden as the employer during the particular gig, but not afterwards and not before. So it's a very short employment relationship. And there's also companies being established in Sweden that are offering to take on the role as the employer and pay the social security charges and withhold income taxes while the individual gigger is rented out by this employer company to the company who wants to engage a gigger. So it's like these a are man. some, sorry, like, like a middleman. Middle yeah, exactly. So the, the relationship, the contractual relationship is like a triangle between the, the gigger and the employment company and the employment company and the company who wants to engage the gigger. But there's no real contractual relationship between the gigger and the engaging company. So these are some ways that the Swedish labor market is struggling to deal with uh, these issues. It's interesting because it, you can't have a conversation about the gig economy without bringing Uber into it, you know, with no pun intended. But I think that's what's driving a lot of this growth. Do you see that similar growth in Malta? Yes, we do. And uh, in fact, the, uh, the, the largest gigas, the, the most gigas are um, taxi drivers. We're seeing an, an increase in this sort of activity from taxi drivers and couriers. So um, couriers on bicycles, couriers on, on foot. And as Marco was saying before, we, like Serbia, have a, a test in our law. So the legislator has come up with eight points, including whether a person has 75% of income coming from one specific company or from others, whether he can subcontract and if five of the eight points are satisfied then in fact it is a presumption of employment. If you are deemed to be in automatic employment then as of your first day of activity with the company then the employer has to pay retrospectively income tax and social security on your behalf. Now income tax is more of a personal matter but the social security aspect that is quite um, that would be quite hefty for an employer to go back um, at least four or five years from where then we would have had the beginning of the engagement to pay social security on behalf of the employee. So that I, I would tend to say is the biggest downfall for employers in terms of the gig economy. 
you mentioned it as a downfall. How about other risks that clients, corporations would expose themselves to, whether it's protecting confidential information, any other risks that you advise your clients that they should be aware of when bringing on a gig worker? In reality, at least in Malta, because the sectors that would employ giggers, so to say, are taxi drivers and couriers, the aspect of professional secrecy and confidentiality to a certain aspect is not there to that extent. So we're talking about people that would um, be more of the skilled market rather than the executives that would have access to certain information. So at least from a from a Maltese point of view, that aspect, at least at this point in time, is not... Low risk, yeah. not as prevalent. I know Marco mentioned the IT. How about... Charlotte, where do you see the majority well, of the workers? Remember I talked about this triangular contractual relationship. I think that most companies are worried about the risk that they would have to pay Social Security contributions or maybe make pension contributions if it is if it turns out later on that this was in fact an employment relationship. But that risk is mediated through these employment companies. But the real risk there is has to do with the fact that there's no real relationship contractual between the gigger and the engaging company. So I think that even though there's no need to have a, an employment contract with the gigger, you certainly have to put in place especially a confidentiality agreement and perhaps also a non-compete if we're talking about pretty qualified maybe IT uh, R&D experts that are engaged on this basis so so that would be my advice to make sure there's a confidentiality agreement in place yes the same thing going on in Serbia because the the in most cases it is the most sophisticated IT experts that were engaged through this gig economy. So they are becoming aware of very sensitive data or information about the company. So in most cases, they need to sign NDAs or similar agreements beside their regular engagement agreement. So basically, but they're making it or signing like they're subcontractors, not in a sense they're employees, but like some subcontracting company that became becomes aware of information working for different company. However, you always have to be very precise because if the clauses are very similar to the ones you, you see in the labor contract, you will having difficulties in the case of the uh, labor disputes because nowadays we see that some of uh, giggers sued their employees and based on the documents they provided and uh, and in practice what they did, the court said we are receiving uh, many each day almost. We can see that the new court practice is going that direction, that it's basically an uh, labor engagement. So you have to be very careful when you're formulating your clauses. Because that would be the, you know, kind of a red flag on if yeah. it requires this level of documentation that maybe it is yes, an employee. Yes. But you're saying that the gig workers are, they're the one that are going to the court? Yes. Because that I yeah. would be, you know, I should be classified differently and therefore be available to have different level of benefits or pay or because better situation? In their case, because, you know, when they are giggers, so uh, for the company is much easier to terminate their or to cancel their engagement 
indifference to contrary to the classical labor engagement because you ha- in that case in the in the second case you have to prove at the court or some other instance that there were justifiable cause for termination of the labor engagement but uh, on the other hand if you had the gigger formally speaking you only have to see because you have normal clauses that you can terminate it within 30 days 60 days notification period so it's like a commercial agreement in a sense so for the giggers if they feel that their um, their rights are endangered they could sue the employee to protect stating okay but we are basically this is basically labor engagement so the labor rules considering the termination should be applicable So I want to go back to when we were talking about the different levels of work, whether it's a high-level IT that's in a gig arrangement or bicyclist uh, courier. If you determined that there were that high level and you felt there was a need to, you know, protect the information and whether you do that through signing documents and agreements, what the expectations are. But how about monitoring gig workers through technology? Does that cross over any lines if you determine that, you know, there's information to be protected? Yeah, certainly. Uh, in Sweden, um, this is not, of course, a new issue because, for instance, uh, there has been a need to monitor, for example, use of company cars. So to in order to determine if this is like a car benefit or if it's just using the company car for company purposes. So you have agreed with the trade unions that it's okay for the company to monitor exactly how the car moves and when and where. And uh, the unions had some resistance about this because it's uh, violating the integrity of the individual employee that the company knows exactly where he is at all times. But in collective agreements, there has been, for this reason, very heavy regulation about how this information can be used and how it cannot be used. And I think that this needs to also spill over into the gig economy issues with GDPR because it's really not acceptable to use this type of information about where giggers are going and how and when for other purposes than what is really necessary for carrying out the assignment. And I think that needs to be looked into as well. Well, I tend to agree with Charlotte. We had a couple of cases where it was deemed to be against employee rights to monitor and capture their biometrics, especially walking into work when it's not necessary. And I would tend to say that this is also going to spill over into the gig economy matter. So it's something that we have not yet experienced because I think the gig is something relatively new, at least to to Malta. And we'll guess what's going to happen. We'll see what's going to happen in the next couple of years. I think as it further develops, and if I were, you know, many of our listeners are sitting there in the HR sector and they're, um, you know, have got this responsibility. um, What parting thoughts can we leave with them to, you know, recommendations, best practices? How do you advise um, your clients that might want to move in this direction and take on more gig workers? From a Maltese point of view, I would suggest to examine the business model. Let's sit down and see exactly what your business requires. Our legislation, thankfully, aside from those eight points that um, we have to test on, also provides for a derogation. So we can 
apply to the director of labor to ask him to exempt a particular model from being deemed to be a presumption of employment. In fact, it's very popular for the derogation in respect of the aviation industry. So Mota is quite big on aviation. We have applied for a derogation from the director of labor to remove the pilots and the crew from this presumption of employment. And in fact, this has been accepted. So there are models whereby, especially the aviation industry, where the crew members and the pilots are not presumed to be employees, even when they do satisfy the five of the eight points in terms of law. Exceptional. Well, for Sweden, the gig economy is definitely here to stay. And uh, Sweden is one of the countries in Europe that has welcomed many, many refugees. So we really need our uh, labor market to be able to accommodate these refugees, even if they maybe don't have all the skills and qualifications to be a part of the regular labor market. So I think that the Swedish unions really have to uh, allow for more flexibility and embrace this. But I also think that Swedish employers, until there is legislation and until there is uh, litigation um, sorting out the categorizations, I think that as an employer wanting to engage a gigger, you should probably treat them as employees, if at all possible. In Sweden, we don't have any minimum wage legislation. So that's something that you can do, maybe pay a little less, but still have the other protection in place in terms of paying the social security contributions and thereby providing health care and basic pension protection. And I'm sure that some of those elements would you know, help with retention too. For sure. For sure. You want to be a, a good employer. Uh, and with, with this very transparent economy, it's going to hurt you f- both from a, an employee employer branding perspective and also from the customer's perspective if you don't treat your gigas right. In Serbia, we can see that the trend, especially in this IT sector I was referring to, that the it's a, apparently that the country would like to regulate this much more than it was in in the past because you know the reason behind this is the lobbying of the big IT companies like Microsoft or all others because they are all present here in Serbia for many many years and they felt that they are not in the same position as other companies engaging gig workers because the social contributions are much lower in the case if you engage the the gigger than classical employment. So the I think the intention is to reduce the number of gigas and especially in the IT sector in the next three years because besides they introduced this test of independence, they said if you sign an employment agreement with those guys from the gig economy, this the self-employees, you will receive some tax incentive. So it's apparently they would like to reorganize this whole economy, maybe to put it in in some certain direction, but with the idea to uh, reduce the number of uh, IT gigas. However, I believe that in uh, some other sectors, they will, like in uh, Uber or in careers, I see the future there, but in this highly sophisticated type of work like IT, I think, I believe that the, the future is not so bright. I think the idea is to turn them in a regulated environment like labor code. 
So I think that this just conversation that we're having just really speaks to the, you know, why this is the hot topic. And I, and I think it, it, we all be in agreement that it is evolving, but I would echo what Charlotte says and that it is here to stay. I think on so many levels, it's just a matter of what it's going to look like and what framework it'll be placed in. So maybe we'll have to convene again uh, later this year and give our listeners an update. I want to thank all of you for being here with me and sharing your insights and expertise on the gig economy. And I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today for another episode of Employment Matters. If you've liked information on the gig economy. Uh, there's plenty of resources on the ELA.law website, as well as that is how you can access these experts that I've convened today. So until next time, I want to say thank you. This is Pam Carroll. Have a great day.